If I were to ask you the questions, do you want to succeed? Do you desire success? Or would you like to do well in everything you do? I imagine most everybody here would say, yes, yes, I would like to succeed. I've not met many people in my life who have the goal of failure. We don't want failure, we want success. Most people do not set out to fail, they want to succeed. Well, what if I were to tell you that there are some guidelines, there are some principles that if followed, can give a high probability of, of success, a, a blueprint for success. I know some of you are a little skeptical, but hear me out. Today we're going to begin a series on the book of Joshua. Joshua is a, a real life drama with lots of action. All the characters are portrayed in realistic terms, the, the good and the bad, the successful and the not so successful. And over the next 16 weeks or so, we're gonna look at some ups and downs, some successes and failures, and I hope that we can learn the lessons from this book of Joshua so we can succeed. This series is entitled, Choose to Stand. Choose to Stand. And the reason is because God's people always have a choice. We have a free will and we have a choice. Choose to stand. In Joshua 24, 15, Joshua said in his parting remarks to the nation of Israel, he said this, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Choose, choose for yourselves. Israel, the people of God in the Old Testament, were preparing to enter and conquer and occupy the land of Canaan. Canaan, which is today known as Israel, was occupied by a corrupt and brutal people who practiced the Canaanite religion. Their religion included the prostitution of both sexes, male and female. It, it included infant sacrifice, which, by the way, if you go to the state of New York, you can do that anytime now. Immorality on a scale that we see practiced in America today. In order to succeed in taking the land, they needed to take a stand. They needed to stand their ground. They needed to stand firm in what they believed. They needed to choose to stand. Choose to stand. This included the rejection of compromise and an unconditional obedience to God's word, God's commands. If, if they didn't follow God's word and his commands, absolutely, they were not going to succeed. True success is measured in these terms. It, it means possessing all that God has for us. God has all of this for us. This, this land in front of the people of Israel was full of promise and, and, and prosperity, and they were wanting to possess that. In our day and age today, it's possessing all that God has for us, not only in the material realm, but in talking about the spiritual realm, in every way with God. Personally, this means preparing for spiritual battles, how to fight our battles, how to win over our enemies, dealing with defeats, and there will always be some of those. Discovering our true potential in possessing all that God has for us. Corporately, as a church, it's how to identify the true enemy who occupies our land. 
And of course, when we look at Ephesians 6, we discover that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. It's against the principalities and powers of darkness that manifests itself in our land. And we see evil all around us. But the battle isn't with people. It's with the principalities and powers. It's a spiritual battle. How to fight those battles. How to, how to win. How to possess all that God intends for us as a church. Today we're going to look at God's word to Joshua. He had just completed his training under the leadership of Moses. Now he was going to be the next leader. Just a little bit intimidating for him. This is the next step in his life in choose to stand. And I'd like you to turn with me to Joshua 1. Joshua, the first chapter. We're going to read the first nine verses of Joshua. These are the words that God spoke to Joshua. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into this land that I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for I, the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you Go. Could my volume be pulled down just a hair? I'm getting a little bit of bounce. There we go. Moses was the greatest leader Israel had ever had. He led the, the, the Israelites in a deliverance from slavery in Egypt. They'd been there 400 years. When you think about that, our country has been around for about 220, 200 and some years or, as an actual country. And this was twice as long. They were in Egypt in slavery for over 400 years, and he delivered them. Moses was the guy who spoke face to face with God. Moses was the person who received the law, the Ten Commandments, which is not only the basis of our moral and relationship codes, but also impacts and informs nearly every modern Western government today. Moses had kept all these ordinary Israelites together, going in the same direction for 40 years. I think that was a challenge. Quite an accomplishment. So Moses, and Moses was a pretty hard act to follow. Hard act to follow. And the job of following Moses fell to this guy named Joshua. Joshua was closely mentored by Moses. Now most of us have heard of Joshua because there's a book of the Bible named after him. And after Moses breathed his last on the top of Mount Pisgah, which overlooked the Promised Land, which he never quite made it to, it was now up to Joshua to lead the people into the Promised Land. They called it the Promised Land because it was promised to Abraham, the founder of Israel. 
but it was already inhabited by a group of Canaanite tribes who weren't about to give it up without an argument. They were there. So the future was going to hold years of conflict and holy war that was mandated by God. Wondering why is that? Israel needed to occupy the land and settle the land that God had promised to Abraham centuries before so that eventually the Messiah could come and offer salvation for all mankind. This whole thing impacts us because if this nation had not been founded, if they had not taken over this land, if they had not, then we would not be here today worshiping the one true God through Jesus. This whole part is tied together in history. In the Old Testament, the land of promise was Canaan. You say, what does that have to do with us today? In present day, the land represents salvation and the abundant life. Everything that God has for us to possess. Alan Redpath writes, the land cannot be entered by moral effort or moral attainment. It is entrusted by God to a representative. Joshua in the Old Testament, Jesus in the New. And through that representative, the blessing is bestowed on God's people. And true possession of the land is measured in these terms, possession of all that God has for us, fulfilling our potential, becoming all we were created to be. It also means establishing God's kingdom. Our prayer that says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, we live in two kingdoms, but they're not mutually exclusive nor divorced from one another. Our spiritual lives, possessing the power of love and righteousness, must also impact the earthly kingdom. There's got to be an impact. We can't live in this isolation and say, we have everything together and we're gonna, I'm going to fall off the stage. Here we go. Did you guys shrink this while I was going? Okay. So we, it impacts this earthly kingdom as well. We're here to make a positive difference. Now, as we discovered in God's top 10, the Ten Commandments, we found that when we live in right relationship with God, according to his parameters, in right relationships with our fellow human beings, life functions as it was created to be. And so right relationships or righteousness or holiness or being God-like is all part of that possession of who we are in Jesus Christ. And true success is measured in relational terms in regard to right relationships with God, right relationships with our human beings, and right relationships with our world, and making a positive impact. Possessing all that God has for us. Now, we don't earn this. We possess it. We don't earn it, we possess it. And possession is a choice. It's a choice. We choose. Israel had to choose to move forward to possess what God had promised and had, in essence, already given them the land. And we choose, in the same way, we choose to stand. So what is this blueprint for success? What do we, what do we find here? That's, those are all the introductory comments, hopefully. We get to Roman number one. Let's look at the plans of God. What, what are God's plans? It's, there's, there's a foundational principle that he starts with in Joshua having success. How, how does Joshua find success? How do we find success? The first, first principle is to leave the past behind. Letter A, leave the past behind. In verse two, God tells Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. 
In other words, he's saying, this chapter is concluded. This is the end of an era. This is the beginning of something new. Now is the beginning of a new day. He says, leave the past behind. Now, he doesn't say, forget the past. He doesn't say, devalue the past. He says, he doesn't say, don't talk about the past. In fact, on, on many occasions, God calls on Joshua and the people of Israel, people of God, to remember the past. But he says, don't live in the past. That's over. What's done is done. Now, like us, Joshua had a past. Joshua had a past. And, and so, sometimes I think our whole life is, is, is focused on trying to, trying to overcome our past. Joshua was called many things in the Bible. Some, he was called a young man. He was called Moses' assistant. He was an Israelite general. He was even called a spy. Joseph was, I mean, Joshua was one of the 12 spies who 40 years earlier had spied out the land of Canaan. And he came back with this report and nobody listened. Nobody listened. There were two of them. Joshua and Caleb said, we can do this. His report was not received. In fact, everybody, just about everybody, rejected his report and his opinion as foolishness. You can imagine. I'm, I, I'm sure that Joshua felt in that instance that he had failed. No one listened to him. He failed to convince the people that they could go in and take the land. And you can imagine his thoughts right now. He says, why me? These, these people didn't listen to me last time. Who says they're going to listen now? Uh, do I measure up? No one told me I was going to have to follow Moses. I mean, you know, of all things. What if I fail? How can I possibly succeed when Moses didn't? If, if Moses couldn't get these cantankerous, irritable Israelites to go forward into possessing all God has for them, how, how can I do that? Well, God starts out by saying, you know what, Joshua? Leave the past behind. Leave the past behind. On New Year's Day morning, this year, several weeks ago, I was having my, my morning devotions. And in my regular reading that day, I reached Isaiah 43. And I had been praying and asking God what he had for us as a family and as a church in the new year of 2019. And this is what I read. Isaiah 43, when I got to 18 and 19, it says, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. And God said, these are my words for you and Eau Claire Wesleyan Church this year. You'll find it at the top of the inside flap on the program. A new, a new thing. I'm doing a new thing. Leave the past behind. I'm going to make a way in the desert, streams in the wasteland. It talks about moving and doing some new things. We look at all of our lives personally. All of us have a past. All of us could catalog our mistakes. We, we probably remember our, our mistakes more than our successes. How many would say that's true? Okay, yeah. They were embarrassing. Okay, so you just kind of stick out in your mind. All of us have experienced failure. All of us could write pages of life's most embarrassing moments. Think about that. We don't like to relive those, but sometimes, I don't know if you're like me, I'll wake up in the middle of the night sometimes in a cold sweat and go, oh, I can't believe I did that when I was 13. Or, you know, whatever it was at 27. You know, whatever it was, you just think about that and you just relive that embarrassing moment again. It's like, oh, I can't believe I said that to the referee. Anyway, those kinds of things. And, and you know, you can stay neutralized. 
frozen in time and space by just hanging out to the past. You can say, I'll never succeed. God doesn't want failures. And whether it was a, a moral failure or a parenting failure or a business failure, job failure, a failed relationship, we, we, can, be, we can be frozen by, by failures, by looking at the past. We all have a past. We all have a past. And some, it might be frozen by past success. Maybe you had a really good year. Say, how in the world can I match last year's quota, last year's season? Some will allow our past success to hold us back today, sitting on our laurels or creating a false sense of self-esteem or accomplishment, living in the past. And so whether it's success or whether it's failures, God says to Joshua and God says to us, leave the past behind. Just leave that behind. Don't forget, but remember so you can go forward. And included in that, we sang about it this morning, remember what Jesus did on the cross to pay for our past sins so that we can leave our past behind. That's the ultimate past where we leave. When we confess our sins and he allows us to go forward, we can leave that past behind. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. We all have a past. And no matter what that represents, failures or sins or whatever, we can leave that past behind. Secondly, then he says, move forward in faith. Joshua, Moses is dead. You go forward. And so he says, live in the present. Look towards the future. Don't live in the past. Remember the past, but look to the future. The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 3, 13 and 14, he said, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. And he says, I have not arrived. Okay, if anybody had arrived, Paul, didn't he arrive? I, well, I guess not. Okay. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The goal, pressing forward, whatever that goal is, coming into all that God has for each and every one of us. Press on, go forward. The call of God. God had a job for Paul, God had a job for Joshua, and God has a job for us. He has a purpose and a plan for each and every one of us. This wasn't without obstacles, and we'll look at these as we go through the book of Joshua. First the Jordan River, and then there was the city of Jericho. The Canaanites, who were very uh, warlike and very strong warriors, they were obstacles. And we'll have obstacles, we'll have challenges. But by going forward, we demonstrate faith or trust that God will help us over the obstacles to win over the challenges. Faith to go forward. Faith to go forward. Moving forward. A person told me once that faith is believing that God is able to do the same thing he did last time. God is able to do the same thing he did last time. Sure, he can do the same thing, but faith is believing that God can do something we've never seen before. Believing that he can do something we've never seen before, we've never experienced before.
Deliverance from Egypt. Had God ever taken people out of 400 years of slavery? No, had he ever, ever sent the plagues? 400 years of slavery delivered. Crossing the Red Sea. They had, nobody had ever seen that before. God was doing new things. God did it. If we only have faith that God can do what he did before, we limit God. God is unlimited. He's able to do new things. And as you enter this stage in your life, remember, God is able to do new things, things that you've never seen before. Expect new things. Believe God for new things. The promised land, or Canaan, was the goal to which God was leading his people. Deliverance from Egypt and slavery was only the preparation for the enjoyment of Canaan. Experiencing great deliverance, but what about, what about the fulfillment of his promise? See, deliverance from our past, our sins and failures and challenges, that's real, it's miraculous, it's amazing. But it's only preparation to go forward into the land of promise and experience all that God has for us. All that God has for us. The plans of God. Leave the past behind. Move forward with faith. Then we come to the promises of God. The promises of God. What does God promise Joshua? And what does God promise us? What does God promise us? In verse 3, he says, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Wow. What does he promise him? Possession. Possession. The land. The land. It was the lifeblood of an agrarian society. Land. God promises Joshua he will possess every part of the land on which he walks. Now note, the whole land was given to Israel but they could only possess the portion which they claimed or the portion they walked on. Now, at different times in the history of our nation, our government has given away land for free. For free. There was a, a story in the movie, Far and Away, starring Tom Cruise, that depicted Irish immigrants that had been tenant farmers back in Ireland, and they were immigrating to the United States. They had never, they, they worked the land, they raised the crops, but they had never owned the land. And they came to the United States in 1890, drawn by the promise of free land. And it produced what was called the Oklahoma Land Rush. So you may have studied that in history, the Oklahoma Land Rush. It's not as pretty as Wisconsin, but it's, it's free land. Hey, what can he say? And it was true, the land was free. However, it was no good to just claim the land on paper. Everyone had to go out to the land and actually stake a claim. You put a, 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 a piece, a stake down with a, with a flag on it, on their chosen piece of property. Then they had to settle it, they had to possess it, they had to occupy it, they had to be there for a certain number of years for it to actually be there. They had to be on the land. They had to actually possess it. It was free, but they had to occupy it. Israel had been given all the land, and he said, but you've got to walk on it. You've got to occupy it. You've got to take it. In the same way, all that God has for us is free. God has all this, all this for us. It's free. It's paid for. Jesus paid for it. 
but we must actually possess or make a claim on what God has given us. We lay claim to it. Now, we don't earn it, but we choose to stand. We choose to stake a claim. We choose to possess what God has given us. Ephesians 1.3 says, Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. Wow. It's, it's ours. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's ours. The majority of Christians never realize their potential because they never take hold of all that God has for us. This is a choice we choose this. Some are just content to wander in the wilderness. They're justified. They're forgiven. They're part of God's family. They probably go to heaven. But they never possess in the sense of realization, never enjoy the possession of their rightful inheritance in Jesus Christ. And the question is, are you just riding around, wandering around, or are you staking a claim? Are you in the wilderness wandering around, or are you, are you living in the land of promise? Because everything that we, that God has is available for each and every one of us. We're promised the land, but we must choose to possess it, to take it. All of the Lord Jesus Christ is mine at the moment of conversion. New life, abundant life, gifts of the Holy Spirit, power of the Holy Spirit, fruits of the Spirit. But we truly live out only as much as by faith we claim. Hebrews 5, the writer of Hebrews, said this. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. As far as the church is concerned, many will not press in to occupy the land. They, they don't want to possess. They don't want to reach all their true potential. Why? There's some obstacles. There's some obstacles to possessing all that we have. First one, one of them is complacency. Complacency. I'm self-satisfied. You know, I, I've got enough of God. I have enough of religion to get me going and keep me going. And, and when I need God, I pray. And, and that's, that's good. He helps me. We have enough people in our church. Uh, I like to know everybody. So it's good that we have enough people. We want to fill the church up and, and pay the bills. The, most, the goal of most churches is to pay the bills. That's not why we're here. Complacency. What about those who don't know Jesus? God will give more and more of his possessions, but only to those who are hungry and thirsty and admit need. Complacency. A second obstacle possessioning all that God has for us is fear. Now, we all, we all know what fear is. You experience it. Different times, you may be driving and you slide on ice. Well, oh, oh, whatever. Somebody's coming through an intersection. They doesn't look like they're going to stop, and you're you got the you know you you understand. Fear is is like a daily emotion, and and we get it. Uh, if if you're like me, fear happens different times, and if it's and it's, if it's about something big, it's usually about it's usually four in the morning. That's when I wake up. It's called my 
my fear time. It's just I wake up. So if you ever wake up at four in the morning, just pray for me, would you? So those are times we all of a sudden wake up and think about the obstacles we're facing and oh, oh no. So it's, it, you're kind of in and out asleep and you don't conscious. You have to wake up and say, okay, God's in control and go back to sleep. Yeah, fear. Well, seven nations held the land of Canaan. Seven. They had strongholds. They had chariots of iron. These, these were not these were not just nomadic, you know, type people that were just around. Let, let me read what they were facing because when they when they looked at this earlier in the in the in the in numbers, when they spied out the land, it says they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. He says, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land, and they, they explored. And they said, the land is explored, and it devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are giants and of great size. It says, we can't do it. 14, 6 through 9. It says, Joshua, the son of Nun, Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were there among the tribe, had explored the land and tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we've passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people because of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Well, 10 to 2 on the report, and the people believe the 10. And the result was disobedience because of fear. Fear led to disobedience and rebellion and judgment, even, even death for some of them. See, fear, which is an emotion we all experience, fear is the opposite of faith. Faith looks at God. Fear looks at our resources. Fear looks at our resources. Faith looks at God's victories. Fear looks at our defeats. And we can always find those. That's why in Hebrews 11 it says, without faith, it is impossible not improbable, not thinking of. It's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible. And without faith, faith, it is impossible to possess all that God has for us. And when God tells us to possess the land, to stand, he means it. And anything less than that is disobedience. No matter who our enemies are, no matter what the obstacles are, the land is promised to us. Everything that God has has been promised to you and to me. Don't disobey. Possess it. So the first promise is possession. The second one is power. Power. So we need. Verse 5a says, No man will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. When we are following God and obeying God, moving forward in faith, there is no person no institution, no circumstance, no relationship, nothing 
can stand in the way of God's sovereign plan for you. Nothing can stand in the way of God's sovereign plan for you. God is sovereign. Follow his plan. You will succeed. The Christian does not work up towards victory. He works down from it. We don't struggle toward it. We stand in it because we stand empowered by the Holy Spirit of God because of Jesus and the cross and the empty tomb. That's the source of our power. It's not some kind of worked up emotional thing. It's by faith looking at Jesus. We live out the results of the victory of Jesus Christ that he accomplished on the cross. That's our power, power source. And God told Joshua, you've already won. What, really? I've already won? He says, yeah, you, I beat your opponent already. I, their protection's gone. You've already won. All you have to do is go and possess the land. The enemy's already defeated. That's the power we have. Can you imagine going into a football game knowing already that you're going to win? That's a good feeling. Or you're going to fight a boxing match and you know already that you've won. Or you're running a race and you know ahead of time you're the winner. That, that, that's maybe pretty cool. Gives you confidence and assurance and strength and power. And what does that do to your opponent's power, knowing they've already lost? Satan, our enemy, is depicted in the Bible as a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And he's just that. He's a roaring lion. He has no power. Jesus defeated him. Jesus defeated him. I used to jog. I used to jog. I gave it up for my health in my mid-30s. <laughs> I say that because it was affecting my knees, and Mark could understand this. Gave it up for my health. But when I, when I jogged, I encountered a lot of dogs. How many of you have biked or run and you run into dogs? Okay. Some nice, some not so much? Yeah. That's what happens. Well, one particular day I was out running, and there were, there were dogs that I, I was very leery of. You know, there's certain certain breeds that you kind of go, ooh, I don't know about this. But this particular one is a big, it was a big dog, came running out at me, just snarling and barking and very intimidating. And I, I don't know why, but I just said, this, this, this is not going to work. So I, instead of running away, I turned and ran towards the dog and yelled at the top of my lungs. That dog screeched to a halt and turned and ran tail. And as it ran, it was looking over its shoulder and ran into two 50-gallon garbage cans and just tripped all over and fell all over itself. And I thought about that as a picture of, of our enemy who's a roaring lion, intimidating us, but has no power. There's no power. Because Jesus won. And that roar can come at us and we can say, get thee behind me, get out of here. Jesus won. Jesus is Lord. You have no power. That's the power we have. No matter what circumstance, no matter what fear you're facing, God has given us power over the enemy. All bark and no bite. All roar and no devouring. 
Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. Just resist. Just resist the devil. Don't back down. Don't be intimidated. Don't cower in fear. You've been given power to use it. And no matter how you're being threatened or, or barked at or roared at or whatever, you've got the power. Resist the devil. The third promise is the presence of God. The presence of God. Verse 5 says, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Verse 9. Do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Wow. Someone once said of Moses, the first 40 years of Moses, he found out he was somebody. The second 40 years, Moses found out he was nobody. The last 40 years, Moses found out that God can take a somebody who thinks he's a nobody and do some incredible things. God was with, with Moses. God was with Joshua. God is with us. And no matter where you are, maybe you're just delivered from Egypt. Maybe you're wandering in the wilderness. Maybe you're entering the land and there are challenges. Maybe you're fighting for your life in the land. God has promised us his presence. He will always be there. Other people may come and go. They may desert you. But God will be with you wherever you go. The last part of the blueprint for success is the prosperity of God. The prosperity of God. Seven, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Three actions we take. First is study the Word of God. Study the Word of God. Learn. Meditate. Do not let it depart from your mouth. Let the Word of God permeate your life. Everything we do must be informed by the Word of God. And as I read it, I've been reading it for 60 years. I find new stuff every time I read it. I follow a plan, and I'll, maybe I'll share this with you um, next Sunday, put it, in the, put it in the program. But I take, take um, the Old Testament, and then the prophets, and then the, the uh, um, wisdom literature, the gospels, and the epistles, and I read one section from each of those every day. It gives you this multi-layered multi picture every day. It's an amazing thing. How important is it to read the Word of God and study the Word of God for our success? How many of you have ever put together a, a swing set? I see these funny looks on Dad's faces. Put together a swing set. Or one of those easy-to-assemble kids' toys. Now, did you, <laughs> easy-to-assemble. You know, they have, they have prescription drugs, that, that, that the caps that are child-proof. I think toys are adult-proof, basically what happens. Um, it's ridiculous when you try to do that. If you don't do it without directions, it, it, what happens? Yeah. And how many of you did it without directions? Yeah. Okay. We say, I looked at this. Oh, this looks easy enough. Yeah. All of us have done that at least one time. And you, hopefully if you're smart, it's only once that you did that. But we do that without instructions. 
We don't think we need directions. And of course, uh, men, not just directions geographically, but directions for putting stuff together. Well, we try to live our lives without reading the owner's manual. We try, to we try to live our life without reading the owner's manual, without following directions, which is the word of God. It's, it's called the Bible. So how's it going for you? You know, the, the, this has all the truth we need to understand. The word of God. And this is the foundation of our faith and practice. Many of you uh, have taken, taken college courses or uh, different places and you have professors of religion who deconstruct the Bible and, and it's okay to look at how the Bible was put together but, but they never reconstruct it again. We had, we had students in our, in our church in Seattle from Seattle Pacific University that they would come into my office and say, this is what my religion professor said this week, this week, this week. It was, just, it was appalling at the lack of faith in the, in the Word of God, the Bible. We must uphold the Word of God because without this, we're lost. I, had, I think it was back in November when I was in, my, in, in the Psalms and I was reading through Psalm 119. If you never read Psalm 119, uh, I'd read a section or two every day. Psalm 119 talks about the law of the Lord. It's, it's incredible. If you want a, a great read, read Psalm 119. It's amazing. It talks about the attitude, the value that the psalm was placed on the Word of God, the whole functions, everything that it does. Studying the Word of God. Do you want to succeed? The, the role of the law, the Word of God, is that it reveals sin, it reveals righteousness, it's right and wrong. It shows men and women, just like you and me, warts and all, struggling with wins and losses and frustrations and challenges. It shows how to navigate life. Studying the Word of God. It's so important that Psalm 1-3, he says, Blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of the sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. His delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of waters which yields its fruit in its season whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. And whatever he does, he succeeds because it's based on his, his, his life is founded on the word of God. So study the Word of God. Secondly, obey the Word of God. Obey the Word of God. God isn't some genie who obeys us. Just say the right formula, use the right words, do the right things, take the right steps in the correct order, you know, and everything goes great. No, we prosper when we obey God. We're in this consumer mentality. We think that God's here to serve us. No, he's not. We're here to serve God. Are you ready to obey? The third action is be strong and be courageous. Three times, let her see, be strong and be courageous. Three times Joshua has told us, it must be important. He told them it three times in nine verses. And this be strong and be courageous isn't a, an encouragement or a, a, a advice. It's a command. It's a command. It's be strong and be courageous. Do it. It's not an option. It's a command. And when we've left the past behind, we've got forward in faith, we have possession, power, the presence of God, we study the word of God and obey the word of God, then we can be courageous, not in our own strength, but it's power submitted to, to the God of the word, the God of the Bible, empowered by the Holy Spirit 
Be strong, it says, be strong in the Lord. It's not in ourselves. It's not something we work up. It's choosing to stand in that relationship and that power. His power. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. So what are the results? What are the results when all of this happens? Success. Verse 8, it says, Then you will be prosperous and successful. Successful. What does that look like for you today? What does it look like for you today? This is not a get over it, move on. It's a moment by moment dependence on God by a terrified people of God who desperately need to walk in his strength to be strong and courageous. Choose to stand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give us real life stories of real life people. And we thank you that, that you've given us the power to stand. And I pray, God, that you would speak to us again in this time in our life, experiencing many different circumstances, many different things. And I pray, God, that you would help us again to understand that the power we have is, is unstoppable. There's, there's no power that can stand. And we're, we're facing different things. We may not be facing a land of Canaan with Jerichos and Canaanites and, and war and whatever, but we have our obstacles in front of us. And we just as desperately need you. And as we look at this country and all that we're facing, we desperately need your help. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the power as a church and as people of God that we would be able to choose to stand. And we thank you in Jesus' name.